This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy! It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. All right, Dynasty Podcasts live from Dynasty Studios in Pilsen on the south side of Chicago. Hi, a Black, and I am here with Daniela DeLuna, a.k.a. TransLuna. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming up here tonight. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is overdue. We've known each other for a long time, just kind of like from out around the city and the scene and, and all these kind of things, but you're somebody, and I say this to everybody who comes on, I feel like, but it's always true. It's like you're somebody who does a lot of great creative work around the city, which is why I wanted to talk to you. And I realize you're somebody who we haven't, you know, had a formal chat on the mic yet. So, um, so I feel like this is overdue and thanks for coming up. Of course. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we always start, you know, the first time somebody's on this podcast, we always start with like, how did you get started with the creative work that you're doing? Like, how did the creative spirit, your creative identity, how did that start to develop in your life? So it's been quite a journey for me. I would say that I've truly started um, manifesting my visions to their fullest within the past year or two. Um, But I started out in nightlife. Actually, before nightlife, I started out by working at a drag store, and that's where I kind of started exploring my queer identity. And I worked in costume design. I also... Uh, was a wig stylist at the time, and that's how I started um, becoming very connected with the community. And over time, I started hosting events. And hosting, there you know, came a desire for more. Right. So I started curating my own events. And over time, that was, you know, it started out as just basic party planning. And then um, I started incorporating installation art and performance into these events. Um, And then eventually I started working with a commercial photographer named Glenn Geisler, and he kind of drew me into the production world even deeper. So that's the point where I really started focusing on my studio practice and um, building up my set design and prop styling skills. Wow. So I want to break down a lot of what you just talked about, but like when you're doing all this different type of event work, all this type of curation, all the visual work, things like this, you know, what was that learning curve like? Was this a lot of being self-taught or, you know, I know you mentioned a mentor a moment ago, but like how much of it was self-taught, how much of it was trial and error and what was that process like? So, I mean, I feel like still on the learning curve, honestly, but I would say the biggest thing is learning how to work with people and, understanding how to create respectful relationships and also understanding your worth and um, knowing like how much time you want to give to projects and understanding, you know, maybe you're not being fully compensated this time, but is it, is it worth it in the end? And then you also need to know when to say no and understand that like work versus creative balance. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think that that's such a big part of being a creative and and being an artist and also being a business or a brand. I know it sounds so like cringeworthy to say like, you're a brand, but it's like, if you're going to be in any kind of business and especially in the creative business, there are so many brands and so many projects that want you to work for free or under the rate that you're worth. And it is such, I think, a struggle for so many creatives to say, like, well, is it worth it this one time? Like, I did a thing at the Apple Store. 
a couple months ago mm-hmm. and, you know, I did like a two day kind of mini workshop and the workshop honestly wasn't that involved. It didn't take up that much energy on my half behalf, but they didn't pay me, but they gave me two iPads. You know what I mean? So it's not like, that balances is it, out. Is, yeah. <laughs> is it worth it? Does it balance out? And I'd never had an iPad and, you know, not to make this about me, but I got the iPad and I was like, holy shit, I actually love this iPad. I can use it as an e-reader. There are so, perks. So there are perks, <laughs> but then you can't have every project be like, well, I'll just keep getting paid in iPads, you know? So, right. so how do you kind of like approach that when you have to know what your time and talent and vision is worth and then convey that and convince someone to pay you what you're worth? Uh, I mean, once again, still learning. Uh, but I would say if the project is something that I'm passionate about and I believe in the message, I believe in the team, I know I'm working with good people, I usually give a little but you also need to know that that, or have to know that that person also <clears throat> understands that you are, you know, right. working through this. Yeah. But and at the, the end th- of the day, I also still truly enjoy my commercial work where mm-hmm. I know I'm getting paid my day rate in full. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's the best. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, the kind of work that you've done, the kind of event work, the kind of visual work, you know, from my, angle where I've, you know, been aware of what you're doing for a long time, it looks like it's very subversive, very alternative. Oftentimes there might be like a queer component to it or something, you know, with like a lot of kind of like voices that might not break through in other forums. So talk about kind of choosing the types of projects and the identity of these kind of projects. Like what, what are you looking for and, and what kind of work is important to you? Well, I would say some themes that are prevalent in my work are, you know, emotional relationships between the ordinary and the extraordinary and how to provoke the subconscious mind into maybe exploring identity further or encouraging others to explore their identities. I also, when it comes to the interactive experiences that I curate, um, in a big way, it's about controlling the environment and then um, allowing people to kind of engage with that environment in their own way. And it's not always just the people, not not always just the guests that are coming into the installations. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also about the performers. Um, I like to work with people that have a magnetic presence about them. And, you know, you kind of just, like, throw them a card and they, you know, run away with the character. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean... Who are some of the um, projects or parties or clients or partners that people might know? Like, I feel like you've done stuff with Soho. I want to say maybe have you done stuff with Queen? Am I correct on that? I've hosted a few okay. things at Queen, yeah. but I've um, I used to curate quite a few events at Berlin. Yeah, and you that's yeah that's early what I was on. I did yeah. some things at Beauty Bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, up to this point, I think I've done three events with Soho, mm-hmm. um, and then I've been kind of involved behind the scenes um, with some other friends' events there. Nice. And, and also Fulton Market Kitchen, I did a really, one of my favorite installations on Halloween there last year. That's awesome. I think I saw something about that on Facebook, maybe. And it, I don't yes. know. It's so easy to like become aware of what everybody's doing, even if you're not there. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I think I saw a post about that thing, which is not remotely the same as being there. What are you looking for in the next type of projects that you would take on, like, what would be the next creative challenge for you? I would like to start taking on bigger productions, which obviously means bigger budgets. And I'd like to start 
kind of forming a more solid team. Like I, at this point, would love to consistently work with a producer, which I'm sure you understand. Yes, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And, you know, I'm starting to kind of build my little black book of um, like cinematographers that I work with and um, costume designers and fellow prop stylists. Um, I'm quite committed to working with Glenn as a photographer, but also I'd love to like branch out a little bit and maybe like bring in an animator, you know, work with some strong editors. Um, But I guess another thing I'm really looking forward to right now, or I mean, I guess adding to the repertoire would Mm be, um, I'd like to engage a culinary aspect to some of these interactive experiences. That'd be really cool. Especially because Chicago is actually a hugely food-focused city in photography as well as, you know, just the dining experience. No, I mean, Chicago is such a food city. It's ridiculous. Like every time, so I teach this podcast class here out of the space and a lot of the people who come take the class are from out of town because they sign up through Airbnb, which is where the class is offered. And so when people are coming in, I have so many restaurant recommendations to give them. And when I travel to other cities, I'm comparing every other city to the restaurants we have here in Chicago. And I haven't found a better food city than Chicago here. So We're the, gifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The culinary scene here is incredible. And I think that you could do really amazing work in that space as well. And the really exciting thing um, is, I mean, people are starving to do something different. And when you yes. meet that, when you meet those people, they're so on board to just, you know, try something different, even if it is a little out there. And I think definitely I've noticed um, some of the restaurant scene is, it's all, I mean, aesthetically very similar. Right, um, yeah. So when you have an aesthetic element to offer to the dining experience, I think certain people are quite excited by that. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Fulton Market Kitchen. It's like that makes perfect sense for yes. you to do something like that. Yes, 100%. and like one of the chefs that I met while I was working on that project is you know, now working at another place, and he's designing the menu there. Maybe want to consider reaching out to him. Um, I've also been in talks with the head chef at Duckin about possibly doing something for Halloween. Oh, yeah, over here in Bridgeport. Yes. Yeah. I feel like Halloween is your season. Am I correct on that? I love Halloween. Have you ever <laughs> been, just total digression, have you ever been to um, Theater Bazaar in Detroit? No. Okay, I'm going to show you that. Uh, look it up on Instagram if you're listening to this, watching this Theater Bazaar. Um, I'm going to show you this after the interview, and you're going to be like, holy shit, you're going to go right away. It's the coolest thing. It's like so up your alley. Um, But let's talk about the mechanics of events, because we've talked about some of the creative components of it, and that's really important. But events are hard. One of the reasons I went into podcasting is because I was doing concerts. Like I was producing some concerts here and there across the city at, you know, mid-size, smaller venues, Shubas, Beat Kitchen, things like that. And holy shit, it was just it was exhausting compared to what podcasting is, which is still work. I was like, Oh, I'll do this. Events are hard. I think the hardest thing is that they're so ephemeral. You know, it's now you see it. Now you don't, you spend months creating and then you set up for a day or two and then the event lasts for six hours and then you, you scrap it. That's it. I mean, (laughs) every, and if you don't get the right documentation, then did it happen? Well, Okay. (laughs) So the documentation, let's talk about that for a second. You know, every time I do a panel, we record the panels and release them as podcasts. And every time I look online and I see, you know, this conference did a panel or this venue did a panel or whoever did a panel, 
and I don't see anybody recording it. I don't see any mics. I just see people talking. I'm like, what are you doing? You have these three or six or five people who are incredible, and you're not capturing this? You're well, not recording it? when we're talking about mechanics, that's something that I've, you know, it's like a requirement for me at this point. I need to have somebody there documenting. Yeah, video, um, photo, whatever it is, because otherwise there is no record that it really happened exactly and i've been very lucky to work with um like some of my favorite go-to people i've worked with alex halstead who's an incredible dp i've also worked with james Sachs, who has recorded some of my events in the past but has also worked with me as a production designer so i think once again building the team is what creates a smooth process no it absolutely is true with event work you know for anybody who is thinking like, oh man, I want to produce events, I want to curate events, I want to you know, promote the whole thing and put the lineup together. What are some of the obstacles? What are some of the challenges? I mean, there's a million of them, but like, what are some of the challenges of event work that some people maybe don't see and don't realize how much goes into this kind of process? Always there are so many personalities when you're working with artists, so that's a huge thing. There's an incredible amount of work that goes into creating each element. It's mm-hmm. like I, I'm hands-on with everything that I do. So it's about building the set. If it's live, then there's a sound element. So it's about, you know, now you're in the studio. Oh, my God. And then live sound. there's editing. Yeah. There's pre-editing. There's post-editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, just like the setup the day of. You, I feel like I like to lie to myself and, like, pretend like something will take much longer than it actually will. <laughs> you have to. You absolutely have to show up with an extra three-hour buffer or whatever. Right. You know, um, I mean, you'll appreciate this. So I don't know if you remember this. Maybe you, you know, kind of heard about it through all of our mutuals. But, like, when we did the 10-year anniversary for Dynasty Podcasts, which was, like, five, four or five years ago now, and we did this, like, 10-hour live broadcast at the Public Hotel, which is now the... Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what the hotel... The Ambassador Hotel. It's called the Ambassador now. So anyway, back when it was the Public Hotel, I worked at the Public Hotel that year. Mm-hmm. And the short version is we did a live broadcast for 10 hours with like 50 guests. Mm-hmm. We arranged that with the hotel. The hotel I was already working at, we arranged that with them two months in advance. We hired a publicist. We booked 50 guests, you know, did multiple live stream tests. You, you name it. We got everything down to the last Detail down to like what time are we picking up the bagels in the morning? I'm there, so this is going to be on a Sunday. I'm there on Saturday night, and I go upstairs to the venue uh, at the top of what is now the Ambassador Hotel. They have a room that was called Ava, and it's a gorgeous like it's not as sweet. It's like an event room, but it's gorgeous, and it like goes out onto the balcony overlooking the lake. It's it's really dope. So this is going to start happening at like 10 a.m. Sunday morning. We've been planning this, working with the hotel. For two months, I'm there Saturday night getting other work done, and I go up to the up to the venue, and the banquet team is working on it. And I'm like, "Oh, you know, what time is this uh, event up here going to be done so I can prepare for tomorrow?" And they're like, "What? What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, you know, we've got the thing tomorrow. It starts at 10 a.m. So oh, when you, guys you are can done with the... start setting up two hours before the event." They're like, <laughs> "We don't have an event here tomorrow." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, "No, no, you don't oh. have an event. I don't know what you're talking about." We got it resolved, but like. That was like 11 p.m. and the event was going to start at 10 p.m. And it's just like you can get everything prepared for months and get everything down to the last detail. But events are just so unpredictable. Anything can go wrong and you have to be like incredibly prepared. 
So, I mean, and I know you know this, but it's just like, I don't think everybody knows how much work goes into You have to prepare for the worst. Yes, absolutely. And hope for the best. And hope for the best. What makes a good event? What's a best case scenario? What are some of the best events you've been a part of that you've produced that you have put together? I would say, well, once again, like uh, something that I can kind of branch off of what you were just saying is knowing that the people who are hiring you or the space that you're working in, knowing that those people are on board and respect the process helps so, so much. And just, I would say, like, respect and good vibes amongst everybody, in my opinion, is what makes a project successful in the end. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as the actual event, um, I'd say, I mean, obviously a good turnout. I think when people actively come, like, come up to me at the end of events and say, wow, I really appreciate all of the effort, <clears throat> excuse me, that you've put into this. Like, mm-hmm. I really see the detail. I feel like I know that I've done something right. I know that I've touched somebody. I know that, you know, when that detail is noticed, it's all worth it. It's the it's best worth, feeling. It's worth the stress. It's worth, you know, not sleeping for three weeks. Um, all the back and forth, yeah. all the emails confirming <laughs> things, absolutely. Oh, yeah. God, the correspondence. The correspondence, yes. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if this is just kind of like a personal preference, but it, feel, it feels like part of your <clears throat> professional identity also comes down to like a lot of like vinyl. Is that just like an aesthetic choice or like where does that come into play? Uh, latex, actually. Latex, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually about... Three and a half years ago, I'd say at this point, um, connected with a latex designer here in Chicago. Um, and he's kind of remained anonymous as far as our collaborations go. But we connected. He, When I was still working at the drag store, he came in and saw one of my wigs and wanted to purchase the same wig uh, in red instead of yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we connected. And then, you know... He kind of opened up to me about, you know, here are the projects I'm working on. Um, You know, I'm just, they don't really have a home beyond, you know, the initial launch. And he kind of trusted my vision and still does trust my vision to kind of um, give these things a life beyond their initial purpose. Yeah. No, and I think it's just such a great, like, visual trademark for you as well. I feel like it's just part of your, again for lack of a better, less gross word, it's part of your brand, you know? It's crazy. I mean, like, when I met this person, uh, I was still running the brand uh, Plastic Factory with Mm -hmm. my partner, Joe Control, and it was... A dream, like we. It was like an angel fell from the sky. <laughs> the latex fairy. That's amazing. <laughs> came to grant my wishes. Um, and I mean, these pieces. He he also has like a collection of these beautiful vintage French mannequins, and he's also a furniture designer. So we may have these like one-off pieces that are used in shoots every now and then. That's it, so cool. It already was just so aligned with what I'd been doing and what I was working towards, and this kind of just elevated everything. That's amazing. That's so dope. Uh, I also feel like you have done, correct me if I'm wrong, you've done like a couple of music videos, right? Or you've been in some music videos? Um, I've been in a couple of music videos. I've styled a couple of music videos. Yeah. I would love to actually full on, you know, direct or, you know, work on the set and production design for a music video. I feel like you should do one for like somebody like Wingtips or like one of these like 
you know, one of those kind of bands in Chicago. Like one hmm. of like, they're like goth bands in Chicago. Oh, wow. That'd be so fun. <laughs> right? I don't know Wingtips. We want to get them on the podcast. Wingtips, if you, anybody's watching this who can connect us with Wingtips, let's get them on the podcast. But, um, but yeah, like just based on kind of their whole aesthetic, I feel like that'd be Honestly, amazing. I've never truly tapped into my goth aesthetic in a shoot or in a project, but like, I feel like that's the everyday default. <laughs> sure. I come from that era. Right. Like I grew up on like nine Goth inch nails, the downward spiral. <laughs> Absolutely. So like that is the default. That's the homepage. Absolutely. Um, and for a lot of your work, has a lot of it been based in Chicago? Have you worked in other markets? Most of my work has been based in Chicago. Um, I've done a couple of things in LA. When I was living abroad in London, I made a point to collaborate with as many people as possible, especially when I was traveling. Mm -hmm. I was networking like a mad woman when I was traveling. But I would say, yes, most of my work is based here right now. I would love to branch out. I mean, what keeps you in Chicago? Because I feel like Chicago is a city that, like, on the one hand, there's so many people who are, you know, they just booked to LA. We were just talking about Columbia College Mm -hmm. before the mics were on, but like, a lot of the students I have at Columbia, they just can't wait to book to New York or L.A. And then there's, like, I feel like a special class of creatives who stay here and want to build here in Chicago versus just automatically going to the coast. I mean, like I said, I'm still learning, and I understand that what I want to do, it's a process. And, you know, rent is high in New York and L.A. I eventually want to have a studio to myself. Right now I am fortunate enough to live in a great apartment space where I have a garage and a basement where I can store my props and I have plans to turn that into a mini studio. Right now, I mean, I would say family also keeps me here, mm-hmm. but I think my long-term goals would to be to kind of like migrate east and then in the long, long term, I'd love to end up back in London. Yeah, that'd be amazing. What advice would you have for anybody, you know, checking the podcast out, anybody who's seen your work, you know, who, you know, is looking to do event work, who's looking to develop kind of creative projects in the vein of what you've, you know, not copying you, but just anyone who's inspired by you and has seen what you've done, like, what would you tell them starting out? I mean, you have to be persistent. You have to always network. Um, I mean, of course, everyone would say so. But, I mean, what I'm doing is not easy. Um, You know, sometimes it's just kind of like, what's going on? Like, am I actually doing this the right way? But, I mean, when, like I said, when things do go right, when things, you know, fall into place, Mm -hmm. um, this path is worth it. So it's just, you know, a matter of being original and believing in the work. Yeah, I think that's the thing that has to get you through this is, like, if you don't believe in and love the work, then, like, for anybody doing anything, it's just, like, the second something gets hard, if it doesn't matter to you, you're going to be like, oh, I don't need to do this. Yeah, and I also think so many people do things for the hype, for the clout. And, like, I mean, that's great, but that's never my intention. Like, I I would love to, you know, get more publicity for what I'm doing, but that's literally the last thing I'm thinking about at all times it's like it where what's the quality control here like is this the real vision so you know, and I think that goes a long way it's crazy it's like I, I talk about this concept a lot and on this podcast and in the class that I teach over at Columbia like the idea of like 
longevity versus and and quality, like you mentioned, versus clout. And you're right, everybody, and I get why. Like it's it's what we're being presented with every day on Instagram and stuff. But it's like everybody's chasing the likes and the clout, and nobody's thinking of like, how can I make this a career that I'm going to be doing for five, fifteen, twenty, thirty years? You right. Know? And you know, also, I'd say. Keep track of your idols. Um, yeah. Like before I came here, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Sing Sing Studios. They're mm. a production company. They're actually a couple. Um, and, you know, I was just, you know, listening to them talk about how they ended up in the position that they're in now. And just like hearing about other people's journey. Yeah. I think that is huge. And just respecting that and owning it in your own way. Learning from the people who came before you. Um, how can people find your work? How can people reach out to you, get in contact with you? And what kind of collaborators are you looking for? Like I said, definitely looking to build my team. Would love to work with um, more video editors and animators. Also, would love to link up with a solid producer that I can you know, kind of commit to mm-hmm. long term. And if you are interested at all, I mean, I'm interested in collaborating with anybody who feels like they have something to offer, costume designers as well, Any anybody, you can do anything if you think my work and your work vibes well together and you're passionate, reach out. Yeah. Um, what are the best platforms for people to do that? Um, so I am pretty responsive through Instagram DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, my handle is Daniela DeLuna, Daniela with two L's. And, and an A at the end. And an A at the end. Yeah. I also am quite responsive through email, which you can find on my website, uh, which is transluna.design, no.com. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, this was overdue. This is super cool. I've always been very in awe of your work because it is Thank so you. cool. It's so visual. It's so... I think, aesthetically defined, and I just think it's cool. So thank you so much for coming up and making time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.